everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your pretty much weekly <laughs> baseball history podcast. We took a week off, kind of unexpected last week, but we're we're back, and uh, I am one half of the show. My name is Jeff. Joining me back again from a life of luxury and indulgence, it's my uh, co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back to our you know, it's usually a pretty luxurious studio, but I think you right now, it looks pretty din- pretty dingy. Yeah, it, it was tough to come back to my version of reality. But uh, as we were discussing, to me, reality is more of a concept. All right. Well, did you did you think about baseball while you were, uh, you know, lapping up all of the free drinks and uh, all the other bonuses? I I did think about baseball, but they couldn't get any of the games in on any of the TVs. It was all rugby. And there was no internet there, apparently. Yeah, but they only let you use it for so long. Yeah, oh, they, they, they only let you use it for rugby. Rates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, using the, the internet on a cruise ship can get expensive. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, let's uh, see if we can get your land legs back uh, with you here, and let's talk about some baseball that you you might have missed while you were gone. I don't know. I may have. All right. Well, uh, let's get into our BP segment. You probably really do need this. I haven't seen a, a live pitch for a while, so let's uh, get you some BP here. Uh, it's been like maybe half a show since we mentioned Lars Newtbar, so we should probably warm you up with a little bit of Lars news. Lars update. Yeah, Lars update. So. Japan celebrated the birth of the first Japanese Macau this year. Macau, Macau. It's not a bird. It's a monkey. It's a Macau. Is that? Yeah, I think it's Macau. Macau. All right. Well, they they had their first uh, birth of one in captivity this year, and uh, they took a public vote. There were 948 votes cast, which doesn't seem like a lot, but you know what? They had a winner anyway. <laughs> With 42. So, okay, 948 votes. The winning name received 42 votes. So Pretty they, spread out. They you? received a lot of names, uh, apparently. But the winner was Peppermill. <laughs> <laughs> Followed with 34 points by Pepper. Uh, wow. Then 29 votes for Samurai and then 25 for Mill. <laughs> So the top uh, four all were related to either Lars Newtbar just in general or to the uh, Japanese team from the uh, WBC. He's he's larger than life. Wow. <laughs> you know, there you you saved that one up for, from vacation. You came back with a bang. It's only downhill from there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> uh, here's a quote uh, from from one of these zoo staff members. Didn't want to be named, apparently. Quote, although a monkey can't become a baseball player, which I'm pretty sure there's a couple of movies where that happens. We hope Peppermill will grow up to be bright and cheerful like Newt Bar. <laughs> Newt, it probably I said Newt Bar's son, right? Yeah. I think a Newt Bar, I think of bright and cheerful. Yeah. So congratulations, to the Japanese people, you've done it. You've named a monkey after Lars Newtbar, <laughs> which I didn't see coming. No, I didn't. <laughs> did I mean, if this was America, it would be like Macau Macaui face, or you know, <laughs> yes, something like exactly. that. So, eh, give him a little bit of props for originality. Uh, let's stay in Japan for this next story. 
Mark, a couple of weeks ago, 78-year-old Fujo Sakai and 52-year-old Hideki Dejuki were arrested for unlawful entry when they entered Koshien Stadium to watch the home team Tigers take on the occult swallows. Why were they arrested, you might ask? Jeff, why were they arrested? Well, the NPB blackballed the Yakuza members way back in 2003. Yakuza members were allegedly running various rackets, often associated with the team's most popular cheering sections, where they would have homeless people line up for tickets and then sell them to diehard fans for about three times the price. Both Fujio and Hideki are kind of well-known, I guess, amongst the police, at least, uh, Yakuza members. Grifters. There is actually a sign at Koshien Stadium at the entrance stating that members of organized crime were not permitted to enter. Because (laughs) if there's one thing that we know will stop a member of the Yakuza, it's probably a sign. Oh, yeah, they'll walk right through that. Well, the thing is, yeah, they did walk right past it. They probably thumbed their noses at it. And then after the game, who's waiting at their car for these two guys? The police. Mm. Yep. So they had allegedly uh, parked in a uh, space that that was uh, not allowed. That's what did them in. Just like uh, Al Capone's taxes, these guys tried to park where they weren't supposed to, to go see a baseball game. Well, that just seems silly. Yeah. So I'm wondering if uh, if this sign, if it's just got the word Yakuza with a with a line through it. Yes. (laughs) Yakuza busters. Or is there like a, a, a profile of a of a man that looks kind of shifty with a line through it. I don't know. It's it's essentially yeah. like putting salt in front of a slug. Like they just won't go beyond that that yeah. salt. No, that stop them dead in their tracks. Yeah. And and you know, they found out the hard way that those signs mean business. So right. uh, a couple of weeks ago I mentioned some weird minor league team names and made up some cuz I'm just convinced it's just uh, a couple of hats with a bunch of nouns and verbs and adjectives in it, and they just pull it out to name these teams. I found a new name I'd never heard before. Oh. The Pistol Shrimps. Okay. Now, tell me those aren't just two random nouns that they put together and said, hey, let's Sounds have like it to me. That name made me laugh for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> uh. But, that, yeah. that is pretty classic. Okay, so I saw this on social media. It was a list of best statistics, the top twenty-five with the best uh, top twenty-five players with the best statistics swinging at the first pitch. Hmm. Okay. So this th- this was not tracked until nineteen eighty-eight. So that gives you an idea of the kind of names. This is like a literally a just. This couldn't make us, I think, here on Two Strike Noise happier. These are the kind of names that we love to talk about. So, first of all, leading the way in batting average with 419 is Mike Trout. Wow, of course it's Mike Trout. And, and then just listen to this names. It goes Jim Tomei, Miguel Cabrera, Joe Maurer, Juan Gonzalez, Edgar, Jeter, Manny. See, I just have to list one names here, and, and you know who these yeah, are. That's right. Uh, let's see. Mr. Padre, Bags, Chef, Ichiro, Noma, Mattingly, Big Poppy, Junior, Big Mac. Look at that. Almost everyone in this in this list has uh, one, you know, like Cher, Madonna, or Ricky. 
Yeah, it's uh, that's quite a who's who, but only of one name. Who do you think has the most home runs on, on the, the first, first pitch? pitch? Yeah. You know, I got to go with Trout. It's uh, just the simple, is easy guess. Actually, probably second to last. Oh, wow. <laughs> Number one, Mark McGuire, 124. Huh. Then Barry Bonds, 122. Then A-Rod with 114. There, there seems to be some link there between those yeah, three. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting something that's linking them. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, maybe our listeners can put something together there. After that, though, it gets a little bit cleaner, at least as far as we know. It goes Junior and then Miguel Cabrera with 109, 108. Everybody else is under 100 after that, but still some great names. You know what? It's funny. People come up with these crazy stats, and, and, and I'm always interested. There is not a name on here that we haven't mentioned probably more than a dozen times. Well, maybe Joe Maurer. Maybe we haven't talked about Joe Maurer that much. He's never come up in Wax Packs Heroes. Yeah, maybe we should talk about Joe Maurer. Yeah, I don't know. He's probably going to go in the Hall of Fame. Well, we are right now. Well, yeah, so there's one. All right. There's, so, okay. okay, yeah, we got a reference. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Mark, you and I are old, right? Oh, I mean, very. that list just kind of just, did you see last week when Rich Hill uh, went, took the mound for the Pirates against the Tigers and he faced the aforementioned Miguel Cabrera? I did not see that. Yeah. So uh, they face each other. This is 2023. Last time I checked the calendar, they first faced each other in 2005. <laughs> That's a wow. long time ago. Uh, I mean, that's almost 20 years ago. I think if Miggy could face uh, Rich Hill more often, he might not retire after this year. He's hitting 421 <laughs> against Rich. Aye, aye. Well, you, you know what Rich Hill's uh, nickname is, of course. Over the? Dick Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Which just cracks me up because uh, I'm a 13-year-old every time I yeah, hear it. Right. <laughs> Uh, something I was going to mention last week, but we didn't record a show. Uh, unfortunately, longtime umpire Don Denkinger passed away last week. He was 86 years old, probably best known or maybe most infamously known for calling Jorge Orta safe in game six yes. of the World Series between the Cardinals and the Royals. Uh, yeah. Despite that, you know, big gaff. He still worked many other big games, including World Series after that. And he really owned up to that call. You know, very similar to Jim Joyce, who, yes. you know, blew the call for Armando Galarraga, who, you know, should have had a perfect game. But like Denginger, Jim Joyce owned up to it. He admits he made a mistake. Yeah. You'll never see like Angel Hernandez do that <laughs> or C.B. <laughs> Buckner. But Yeah, right. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. He was also behind the plate for two perfect games. Oh, wow. Len Barker's in 1981 and Kenny Rogers in 1994. So RIP for Don Dinkinger. Uh, Mark, this show is debuting on May 24th. So we do have some uh, some debuts that happened today throughout history. First of all, in 1989, so not too far back. Uh, David Justice made his debut for Atlanta. That's definitely somebody we've talked about quite a bit. <laughs> yes. I think he's one of those guys we've pulled in Wax Packs Heroes a ton. So we've covered him a lot. Uh, replaced Dale Murphy in right field for that team for Atlanta. So those are big shoes to fill. But boy, I think he, I 
you did a good job. <laughs> oh, he, he did quite well. I agree. He, he had a heck of a career. So when he made his debut in 89, he only appeared in 16 games. The next year, he uh, showed up in 127 and was the Rookie of the Year. Also finished 24th in MVP voting. Beat Delino DeShields out. I mean, it wasn't close. He, he received 98% of the first place votes. But uh, following up was Delino DeShields, Hal Morris, and then John Burkett, Mike Harkey. Oh. Wow, there's a name I hadn't heard of for a while. Todd Boy. Zeal, then Marquise Grissom, and uh, there's a Hall of Famer, Larry Walker. Larry hey. Walker received one vote as Rookie <laughs> of the Year. I think he did okay, though. But, yeah, he had a good career. Yeah, he did that. Uh, of course, Dave Justice, beyond just being a great uh, a great baseball player, Rookie of the Year, three-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, ALCS MVP, Wow, he played a lot in the postseason, 112 games Wow! in the postseason. That is, uh, you know, bordering on a whole major league season. That's saying something, I tell you. Two-thirds of a, of a major league season he played in the postseason. So uh, he did a good job. Of course, uh, he was on the Oakland Athletics, member yes. of the, the Moneyball Athletics. He was. And... Uh, hey. Let's see, traded by the Braves with Marquise Grissom to Cleveland for Alan Embry and Kenny Lofton. Of course, uh, we've talked about uh, his pop culture appearances. He was on a episode of The Young and the Restless, and he was played by Stephen Bishop, who, when somebody tells me Stephen Bishop's name, now I can go, oh, well, he played David Justice in the movie version of Moneyball. That's right. Still does really know who Stephen Bishop is. Also was on uh, an episode of Celebrity Wife Swap, which I think the Yankees did a couple of decades earlier, if I'm not mistaken. So. <laughs> yes, they were the originals. Yes, he was the, they were the original wife swappers. Uh, and in 1994, Justice was listed in People's 50 Most Beautiful uh, People, similar to you and I last year. Yes, that wasn't the same year. We finally cracked the list last year. Yeah, it's about time. Weren't they going to send us like a free copy of that uh, ep- uh, that copy of the, of the magazine? I haven't gotten mine. Yeah, I, I'm sure the guy wasn't being sarcastic. Yeah, when he I'm sure we it. were there. So yeah, yeah, and of course married to Halle Berry. So yeah, professional yes. baseball Mr. player. Mr. Halle Berry, married to Halle Berry, rough life. All right. Uh, also, this day in the year 2000, Pat Burrell, Pat the Bat, made his major league debut for the Philadelphia Phillies. Pat Burrell in high school was a quarterback where he once squared off against famed Expos draft pick Tom Brady hmm. on the football field. We'll have to look into this Brady guy, see if he ever uh, he ever did anything. Not sure uh, what happened to him. But Pat Burrell won the College World Series Most Outstanding Player in 1996 despite playing for the losing team, the Miami Hurricanes. Hmm. Wow. He joined Dave Winfield and Phil Nevin as the only players to win the award for the losing team. Wow. So Hall of Famer and uh, Angels manager he joined there. 1998, he was the first overall draft pick for the Phillies. Had a 12-year career, nine of which was with Philadelphia. Uh, Let's see, he won two World Series during his career. Uh, one with the uh, Phillies in 2008, and then with the Giants in 2010. He also uh, won a World Series, so congratulations. Yeah, and uh, career-wise, only eight shy, eight home runs shy of 300. Yeah, he's one of, those, one of those guys. 
those guys. Uh, and then this one, Mark, might mean more to you and I than to a lot of our listeners. But in 2013, Jesus Sucre made his debut today. Oh, Sugar Jesus. <laughs> Sugar Jesus made his debut in uh, 2013. <laughs> now, if you're listening and you go, who? What? Who? Uh, backup utility catcher. And I say utility catcher. Uh, he played seven years in the big leagues. Four with the Mariners, which is where you and I remember him most. Two with Tampa Bay. One with the Orioles. Now, uh, he did a couple of things of note. First of all, August 12th, 2015, he caught Hisashi Iwakuma's no-hitter. Oh, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Iwakuma is bear. Iwakuma <laughs> <Yeah>, means bear. <laughs> uh, but more than that, more importantly, I think, which <laughs> more than importantly than catching a no-hitter, uh, he appeared on the mound six times in his seven-year career. Wow. He was definitely the default position player to pitch in blowouts. And I he, guess so. He wasn't that bad either. Overall, six games he appeared, five innings, 12 hits, eight runs, 14.40 ERA. Which in, you know, if you put position players, if they all pitched five innings, I'm going to say that ERA isn't too bad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I got to tend to lean uh, that direction, too. <laughs> he, he did give up a home run. He walked two. He didn't strike out any. And he committed a balk. Oh, what <laughs> a nerve. Uh, we got a balk called on us in our in our league this week. And I was like, really? yeah, I'm like, come on. It's a little much for a bunch of 50-year-olds running around out there. But nonetheless, they got those umpires sticking to the letter of the law. Uh, so there you go. That Those are our debuts for today, May 24th, which is not May 4th. It's, it's been 20 days since the Star Wars Day already. That's pretty incredible. But hmm. All right. So that's going to wrap up uh, this uh, edition of debuts. Also going to wrap up our BP. I think we're completely stretched out. And we're going to go ahead and head right into the main part of our show where, Mark, we have a guest today. We haven't done this for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we have got uh, an author is joining us. His name is Kirk McKnight. He is uh, he's written a book about a lot of guys that we've talked about, and he's talked to actually a couple of people that we've talked to on this podcast. Uh, the book is called "The Voices of Baseball: The Game's Greatest Broadcasters Reflect on America's Pastime." We had the chance to talk to Kurt uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, let's uh, take a listen to uh, Kirk McKnight. Welcome, Kirk McKnight, author of The Voices of Baseball. Uh, Kirk, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, really. We'd like to get to know you before we uh, get to hear about your book about baseball. So tell us, you know, we like to ask, first of all, kind of where you grew up and, and who you grew up rooting for, both team and players, and, and why. Well, I grew up in Las Vegas, but I'm considered a TBS kid, uh, is, the, <laughs> is the term. I mean, I listened to the Dodgers a lot and watched the Dodgers eventually, but, uh, you know, that, that was one of the first that were able to, you know, come in. But me being a TBS kid, my favorite player growing up was Del Murphy. In fact, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, I wrote an argument for Del Murphy's legitimacy for the Hall of Fame, basically just like a self-published book that I re released on digital and, you know, got some other you know people to give their two cents including bobby cox and um don sterling of the yankees who used to broadcast for the braves so 
that's my upbringing was Del Murphy and the Atlanta Braves. And then when, you know, this is back in the eighties. So this was before we had access to things like MLB TV and extra innings and all that. So when Dell left, my connection to him left because then he went to Philadelphia and like TBS wasn't going to follow Dale. They had to stick around and maintain with the Braves. So I lost my connection there and, uh, became, um, a Cecil Fielder fan a couple of years after that and, uh, followed the Tigers and, Bill Sim situation, uh, not really network uh, situation going on uh, over there in Detroit, you know, on a national perspective. So they traded Cecil uh, in the summer of 96 over to the Yankees, and I've been a fan of the Yankees ever since. But since writing this book, I'm honestly a fan of every team. I pay a lot of attention to certain players, especially fantasy players. But uh, my favorite player today is Whit Merrifield, and – I enjoyed being able to see him more here in Arizona spring training when he played for the Royals, but he got picked up by the Blue Jays. So bye-bye spring training wit. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in Las Vegas. Was there a minor league baseball? Vegas has had teams throughout. I'm an A's fan, so we don't, Las Vegas is kind of a bad word here right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you get to my, many minor league games there? I, I don't even know how old Cashman Field is, but I'm assuming that's probably where the, the Vegas Stars or whoever they used to be used to play. Right. Around the turn of the century, they changed the name from the Stars to the 51s. Uh, they still played at Cashman Field for a good another maybe 17 or 18 more years. And then in 2019, they opened up a new ballpark. It's probably one of the best ballparks, if not the best ballpark in all of minor league baseball. That's what's creating this, you know, a little bit of a conflict now that Vegas is going to be getting the A's there because – some people don't see the point in having the minor league team there as well as the major league team there, but the A's are going to probably be playing in that ballpark for a couple of years while that stadium's getting built. I don't, I don't expect Oakland's going to be sitting in Oakland until 2027. It's not, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's happened before. I've been to A's games at Cashman field while they were building Mount Davis. The A's played some of their home games at Cashman field. That was actually where I saw Cecil Fielder for the first time hit a home run. I'd gone to see him in California playing in Anaheim. He never did it. And I just go maybe a mile and a half from my house. And there he goes. He hits a home run in uh, Cashman field. So to long story short, the, uh, the ballpark in, in Las Vegas is, uh, is incredible. And it's definitely worthy of entertaining a team and of a major league level for a little bit. But of course you always come into attendance as well. And, <laughs> that's kind of what the Arizona Coyotes are doing. They're playing in a in a college arena right now, and they're a major, you know, major level team. And you got five thousand seats. It's kind of a joke to the rest of the league. Yeah. Well, we we yeah. won't talk about the A situation here. I'd say, yeah. it's a little... yeah, let's change the subject. I was just going to jump in. No, I, uh, honestly, <laughs> since uh, we're going to talk a lot about um, radio announcers. I had a buddy who was the radio announcer for the Las Vegas stars, John Sandler. And uh, that is one of the funniest human beings you could ever meet in your entire life. I'm telling you. John actually is the reason I got off to a good start on my book. John married my neighbor across the street. No kidding. And so when I learned that Ken Korak, who, you know, is the broadcast for the A's used to broadcast for the rebels at UNLV, I uh, reached out to John and said, Hey, I I'm uh, I'm working on a project right now and I haven't even done interview one, but I'm wondering, do you know, Ken Korak? He says, I know Ken. <laughs> 
And there we go. There was that first connection. And so, like, I'd say that John is the first person to get me in the room with somebody, I guess, to kick off this whole project. That's awesome. John is, he used to pick on me, man, and not in a mean way, but in a practical joke way. He was, uh, my job was in Tacoma and I was, I would put stuff up on the scoreboard for advertising and so on. And uh, he got there before me one day. He was, he had been looking over my shoulder. I didn't know he had been memorizing what I do. And I get there and the scoreboard's already up and running and it says, welcome to spoiled lunch meat night. (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) Still a popular promotion in Tacoma. (laughs) That best describes John Sandler. There you go. So let's talk about the book, The Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. Why a book about baseball broadcasters? Because I I feel like if you're going to tell what the voices of baseball does and kind of share not only the differences between the ballparks and show the peculiarities of each ballpark, but, you know, share the biggest moments. I think it's kind of like you hold your arm out and you say, well, no, I think that you are the one who should be doing this. It's uh, I'll give an example is, you know, Wayne Hagen came into the Mets um, and he's basically around the time that the Mets are saying goodbye to Shea and he's sitting there like, I'm doing this final broadcast. What am I doing saying goodbye to Shay? So he kind of like opens his arm out to Howie Rose, like, do you want to do this? And of course, Howie, you know, Howie Rose has been a longtime Met fan and broadcaster. You know, it was a tremendous honor for him. And that's the thing. It's like, if you're going to have a goodbye to Shay, you're not going to have somebody that's basically just coming in in their first year. What would be the point of me telling the people about these memories of these broadcasters or these memorable moments in baseball when there's somebody who is the storyteller for the team. And that's where I really got the idea for the book is to explain the nuances, explain the things that make it unique, but also get the in-depth feeling from these broadcasters, you know, the emotion that they felt, what was going through their heads, the, the temperance that they had to exhibit in some of these moments where they wanted to freak out and go absolutely nuts, but they had that discipline of being a broadcaster and having to kind of bring it back down a notch to uh, to temper themselves a little bit. Your book is is broken up basically into chapters, with each chapter focusing on a different team and their their stadium, and then some broadcasters, generally always the home broadcaster and maybe one or two others, telling about some of the great moments at each of those. What do you consider? the greatest baseball call of all time, not just the moment, but the, the broadcaster that encapsulates that great moment. I mean, not any one that I've ever heard, but from what I understand, Russ Hodges calling Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world is probably the most historic and memorable broadcast call of all time. Uh, you know, just going out the gates is one of the things we talked about. I mean, that's the one that everybody talks about. And if you think about, you'll see that everywhere. It's in movies all the time, you mm-hmm. know. And for me personally, you know, thinking back of some of the moments that I've witnessed in baseball, I have to go with Scully calling uh, Gibson's home run in 88, you know. And uh, oh, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> why you got to hate on the A's so much? There's certain things we don't talk about here. The 88 so, World Series in Las Vegas, and you've hit them both. So here's, here's, well, I haven't hit all three of them because the other call. The Jeter flip? Is, the Jeter flip. There you go. Those are both, these are all, these are all, all moments right, we're going to wrap it up in my now. book. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think my time's up now. But 
But when you think about the Scully call of a Gibson home run, you know, that that is one that really settles in and, and really kind of resonates with a lot of people. They just remember that, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the the universe aligning because Scully had already been broadcasting from the World Series on a national level already. It just so happened to be a year that his Dodgers were in there, and he's not a homer by any stretch of the imagination. He's doing his duty as a broadcaster, calling the calling the game and making that call, and and you know he's been able to follow this team in a magical year and a year that Oral Hershiser was doing amazing things and, and the Dodgers themselves were doing amazing things. So it was just an amazing moment that kind of, I mean, obviously if the world series ended on that exact home run, we probably wouldn't even question. We probably wouldn't even question if there was the rest of the world series. If I were to tell some lay person saying, this is this, this is the home run to end the world series. They'd probably believe me, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of a way to put a, put a bow and a ribbon on a season like 1988 for the Dodgers. Yeah. I'll let Mark answer too, but I think you kind of, when I, when I wrote that question down, those were the exact two things that came to my mind. Um, The other one being probably, you know, the ball between Buckner's leg in 86. Uh, Those are, those are really the three. Cause I mean, when I think of something that transcends baseball, I think, does my mom know what this is? And she definitely knows, you know, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win. I think it was in an episode of MASH that is is probably <laughs> one that a lot of people, uh, you know, heard that that might not have known about it before. But uh, I think those are my greatest. Mark, what would you put in there? Well, thanks a lot for taking mine. I was <laughs> I was going to say uh, Buckner behind the bag, <laughs> you know. Um, that's the one that comes to mind immediately. Just it, it's it's embedded in my mind from watching it that very night, you know. Interesting book uh, talking to the broadcasters ab- about baseball because I I have done radio and, and I was fortunate enough to do radio for baseball and, and I love that. That was my favorite thing to do. I, I'm wondering for you, how do you consume baseball? Because uh, for me, a lot of times I will I'll, I'll watch it unless I'm at the park, but I'll watch it. But fortunately, MLB has this MLB TV has this great feature where you can watch the game, but you can listen to the radio broadcast. And I find myself doing that a lot. How do you consume it? I do have MLB at bat on my phone. So a lot of times uh, I'll check in and listen to the game. A lot of times I'll be listening to John and Susan do the, do the Yankee games on WFAN, uh, especially if I'm driving. I, I love basically being able to just kind of have the excuse of I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to listen to the radio. I'm going to listen to this game uh, when I'm driving into Phoenix or something like that. But I think one thing that I'm doing, you know, more or less nowadays is trying to follow players a little bit more. I mean, we do have some serious gifts from the baseball gods. Uh, Shohei Otani is one of them. Uh, He plays on a crap team, but I mean, the fact that he basically did in a two-day span last year what he did in uh, knocking in, I think, seven or eight RBIs one night in a losing effort and then striking out 13 over eight innings, eight shutout innings the next night, you're not going to see that again unless it's by him. Wasn't that against the A's? <laughs> no, it was against, no, it wasn't. It was against the Royals. Okay, not, everything was at, not everything in my book was at the behest of the A's, even though the, some of the points I'm bringing up are. But yeah, that was, uh, and I had the I had the good fortune of talking to Terry Smith basically the next week, not even thinking about it. I just it just happened to be when I talked to him for the updated edition of the game, and he says, "Well, you picked the right talk because of what happened last week against the Royals." 
how fortuitous that I didn't have this conversation with him a week and a half before, because then I wouldn't have his perspective on, on something that, you know, both he and I think it was a goob. He leaned over to Goob or Lanks. I can't remember who his broadcast partner is, but he said, you know, we are probably seeing something or the best two-day productivity that you'll ever see in your lifetime. You can say that pretty much any time Otani is in the <laughs> game at this point. Yeah. Just curious, uh, did you yourself want to uh, do any broadcasting? Is that how you got into uh, maybe thinking about how the broadcasters uh, are unique in their own way? And just curious if you uh, ever wanted to do that yourself. I've sat in a broadcast booth and kind of tagged along in a, in a couple innings, you know, just to promote the book a few summers ago. And it was like a pioneer league uh, game. And I'll tell you, even with that, I was sitting there nervous as all get up. So I don't know how I put in the broadcast booth, honestly, uh, even appearing on some of the broadcasts I have, I did, I appeared on a uh, spring training broadcast this last year with, with Jesse Agler and Tony Gwynn Jr. And the pace that these guys go, I can't keep up. And I feel like I'm a person that a lot of people can't keep up with, or they tell me that, but, uh, and I can't keep up with these guys. So I'd be pretty overwhelmed to be sitting in that seat on live air. Especially with the pitch clock now. Exactly. Makes me think about Vin Scully, and I'm glad he never had to call an inning with a pitch clock because you know how he could perfectly time those stories out so that he wrapped everything up. He could take a whole inning to to weave his his story about Jackie Robinson ice skating or, you know, the plane that uh, the engine failure and they spent a a night in Sheboygan or, or, you know, just some (laughs) random thing that nobody but Vin Scully knows. And he can tell it in the most beautiful way. And regardless of what happens on the field, he describes everything that happens on the field, but he'll wrap that story up right as the uh, the third out is is called. And uh, thankfully, he never had to do that with a pitch clock, even though I love the pitch clock. But I'm glad we didn't miss out on <laughs> some Vin Scully antidotes because of that. There's an interesting story in the tribute chapter to Scully. And he was and uh, it was basically some one of the broadcasters, I believe is Bill Brown of the Houston Astros. He said he remembered, you know, uh, Jerry Royce on the mound kind of kicking around a little bit because he could tell with all the transistors in the ballpark and everybody with them with those handhelds up to their ears that Vin was telling a story. So he kicked the down, he kicked around on the mound a little bit saying, you know, I think I'll let Vin finish the story. Maybe that's the power of Vin Scully right there. (laughs) It was more important that Vin get his story. And I agree. Right. So who's on your Mount Rushmore of, uh, of announcers? And, you know, of course there, there are the Russ Hodges and, you know, the, the people that we never heard do a game live. So let's just go from whenever you kind of fell in love with baseball till the current day, who's on your Mount Rushmore of broadcasters? Well, of course we put Vince Scully at the top of that. I, I, and I, that is a, because that's how the universe feels and B actually speaking with the gentleman is, uh, was a great, uh, great experience for me. Obviously. I also like John Miller. I like John Miller's ability, uh, to really just have the peaks and valleys in his calls. You know, he does, he has a calm voice and he, he, you know, he, he's able to talk you through a game, but he's also able to really, hit the high notes when he needs to, when there's the emotion that's needed, he does, he does excel at that. And, you know, you take, 
take a Hall of Famer like Denny Matthews, and I and I'm, I don't want to hear a bunch of flack from the Royals fans, but he's not the kind of person that has that peak and valley kind of way of broadcasting. Denny kind of is across the way, you know, and and he's a great broadcaster. I'm not trying to take away from it, but I do like the fact that some of these uh, broadcasters are a little bit more emotive. So there you go. We got John Miller. You got Vin Scully. I'd have to put definitely in that area as well, um, Al Michaels. Because Al also is a broadcaster who is all over the grid. I mean, he's broadcast for baseball. He's broadcast for football. He's broadcast for you name it. (laughs) Hockey. And, of course, you know, he's – and my most memorable call for Al Michaels, I was talking about this in an interview yesterday, was – when he called uh, Roethlisberger to San Antonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone in Super Bowl 43, just that call is, as me as a Steeler fan at the time when I actually liked football and him winning the championship on that on that play and Michaels being the soundtrack to it, I can't forget about that. And, of course, a lot of people remember Al for Do You Believe in Miracles and uh, the 1980 U.S. hockey team. So I would put him up there on that list, too, and I, I think you'd have to have a, a dual head system with Doc Emmerich and Bob Costas for that fifth spot, fourth and fifth spot there, because those are two people I've talked to, and they're two people that I definitely have gotten the chance to really see how they do their craft. And they're and it's very impressive to hear a broadcaster in hockey and the way that Doc does. And uh, the way that Bob Costas is, I mean – you know, I will use this as an opportunity to uh, tell a, a story, like a pop culture story, I guess. The day after I interviewed Bob Costas, I get a phone call on my cell phone, and it's on mute, luckily. I'm in church, and I, like, reach in my phone. It's a Bob Costas. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's Bob Costas again. I mean, I talk to this guy, but it's Bob Costas. Do I, like, do I do I send Bob Costas a voicemail, or what do I do? So I let the phone, you know, ring out, buzz out, and I just quickly text him. I'm saying, I go, I'm sorry, Mr. Costas, I'm in church. Is there, is there something you need? He says, nope, Kirk, sorry, my mistake, uh, accidental phone call, uh, enjoy your day. And I thought, okay, well, I got to do this now. So I text him back. I say, are you saying I just got butt dialed by Bob Costas? I go, does it get any better than that? And his immediate text is, Let's hope that it does. <laughs> and if you can imagine Bob Costas, his way of saying that, it just it just made me laugh all day long. And and I feel like whenever I talk with Bob, I feel like I should be taking notes because he is just so poignant with his words and he's just so full of information and full of honestly tutelage <laughs> so i definitely have to have him up on that mount rushmore boy i think my favorite bob costas uh, baseball memory has got to be the sandberg game uh i didn't i i didn't watch it live but i have watched the entirety uh we did a whole episode on it it was a there were so many stories going on with that and then just we call it almost the willie mcgee game but no it's the the sandberg game and he did such a great job as people are breathing down his neck to wrap up this game we've got you know we got to go to this boxing match that nobody really cares about but <laughs> that was bob's that was bob's answer when i said what's your most memorable game so in the book in the wrigley field chapter definite uh, expanded edition of that of that game courtesy of bob costas and I was six at the time, so of course I don't remember it. But him telling it, me realizing, you know, that that's around the time that that summer that the the natural came out. So he's like saying, basically, we're seeing a real life Roy Hobbs in in Ryan Sandberg. Nice. I, I remember uh, Saturday baseball games. This is back when 
you know, before we had all these great opportunities to watch baseball, you were lucky if you got to watch a game a week. And Saturday baseball was always Vince Scully and Joe Gargiola. And uh, Joe had a big deal with uh, people wiping out the back of the batter's box. This obsession. <laughs> Every week he would talk about it. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do, Joe? There's nothing you can do about it, man. And poor sap. I, I, I always felt bad for him because they weren't going to ever rectify this one huge egregious issue he had. Uh, my last question, Kirk, before we get to some baseball cards here, who do you think is the best? I mean, I mean, throughout the history of the game, former players coming in and being that number two. Some of them go on, like Bob Euchre, to be the number one voice and, and be the play-by-play <laughs> voice. Who do you think, and, and maybe I just took the answer there, I mean, it might be Bob Euchre, but who is the best former player to to transition in your mind? Oh, wow. I mean, there's, oh, that's a tough one because, I mean, you got people like Tim McCarver and Mike Shannon who are, you know, both of them are just, in fact, in this case of Mike Shannon, he just passed away over the weekend. Uh, but I, I mean, I think Tim McCarver takes that cake right there. Uh, of course, Bob Euchre, the, the thing about Bob Euchre, though, is, is Bob, you know, Bob was always so self-deprecating about his playing career. In fact, he said, you know, I used to always be on the air with Vin and tell him I was sorry that he had to call games that I played in. So that was the esteem that Bob Euchre had for himself as a player. Uh, I feel like Tim McCarver uh, kind of sets the mold or casts the mold when it comes to a former player slash broadcaster. And it really comes out and having him in the book. And, and basically if, if anybody can remember back to 2001 world series on the Fox broadcast, you got a former player, giving his backup, you know, his color commentary to Joe Buck and just saying something that couldn't have been as prophetic as, as it couldn't have been more prophetic saying about how the problem with playing in with a pitcher like Mariano Rivera is he gets up on up and in on the hitters and they, they bloop, they bloop to the farther parts of the infield. Sure enough, that's exactly what Gonzalez did the very, probably in the next pitch or two, he does it. And, and that's how the, and that's how the Diamondbacks dethroned uh, the three time defending world champions. And in that call, Joe Buck is high fiving Tim McCarver as he's making his own call because Tim was right there. It's like, it's kind of like the movie forget Paris. And they're talking about uh, the beginning when, when uh, Billy Crystal, you know, makes that call right there. He says, you know, he was too late on the shot and uh, you know, uh, Joe Montaigne is retelling the story and he's saying, yep, right there without any, uh, without any luxury of a, a video replay, he was right there. He made the call right there in the moment. And that's kind of like what Tim McCarver did. And I think that's where I, Tim McCarver is the perfect mold to cast for uh, former players turned broadcasters. Cause they have that ability. They know when to back up, you know, they know when not to step on the toes of the lead. And but they also know when their acumen is going to come in handy. And he certainly did that day. I think that's a great answer. I think I think only one person might argue with you, and that's Deion Sanders. But <laughs> I was going to go there. I was going to go there. too. All right. Okay. Let's go there. <laughs> uh, so, Kirk, do you want to tell everybody how they can uh, how they can get a hold of your book where it's available? Yeah, my book is available online anywhere books are sold. Uh, the obvious answer would be Amazon. But if you uh, if your listeners are into saving a, a few bucks, they'd save $11 off the cover price if they go to the publisher's website. That's Roman with a W, R-O-W-M-A-N.com. If you use coupon code R-L-F-A-N-D-F-30, 
you get 30% off the book and that gets you about $11 cheaper than Amazon. Great. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes as well so that cool. uh, anybody interested in that. It's a great uh, a great book. I love how it's broken out. Uh, Mark and I were talking about it earlier, how it's broken out by stadium. It's the first one he went to was the was the Mariners. Uh, first one I went to was the A's. Then we both looked for Vin Scully. And then we <laughs> kind of, you know, it, it's not, you don't have to read it front to back. You can kind of pick and go where you want, uh, depending on who your favorites are. So that's great. Do you have time to stick around and open up a, a pack of old baseball cards here and see what we can get? I'm all about the pack wars. We used to do that back when I would go to the ball, uh, ball card store. Yeah, so we call, uh, this is called Wax Packs Heroes. And uh, what we do is we'll open up this pack. I've got a pack of 88 tops here. And uh, we're going to open it up. We used to, <laughs> I had an old Beckett, and we used to look up the prices and total those. But every card was worth a cent. So it wasn't a whole lot of fun uh, at that point. So what we do is we're going to look at the baseball reference war of the year of the card. So in this case, 1988. Uh, we've got a couple of other rules as well. Uh, they're a little bit different when we have guests than when it's just Mark and I. But uh, if they have uh, anything on their face, meaning glasses, a lot of players had those huge science teacher glasses that they wore. Think of like Vance Law, uh, who was mm -hmm. on the show and <laughs> made, made jokes about uh, his own glasses. Uh, eye black, flip down sunglasses, anything like that, you get an extra tenth of point of war. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see white or in the A's case, gold sanitary socks, that's an extra tenth of a point. But if they're wearing those two-in-ones, which we do not like, minus a tenth of a point of war. Oh, no. If they've got sweatbands that have their caricature on it, the, the MIMS bands, like Ozzy Smith or Daryl Strawberry used to wear, extra tenth of a point, because that's cool. Uh, if they've got a mustache, because that was very prevalent then, it's coming back now, <laughs> tenth of a point. But if it's like a Wade Boggs, Keith Hernandez, Tom Selleck, like a, a beauty, two-tenths of a point of war. <laughs> and if there is a Hall of Famer on the card anywhere, you get a whole extra point of war because they're in the Hall of Fame. So uh, if we look at our leaderboard for guests, we've got another author that is on top, John Vampatella, who is a Red Sox fan. So you guys might not get along. Uh, he's got a 31.8, which is a really good score. Then we've got the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas and another author, Tim Haggerty at 30.5. Dave Dravecki. Uh, through a great game, uh, he's got a 24. Rick Riz, who you talked to, voice of the Mariners on the radio, 22.1. And Bobby Valentine came in with a 21.4 to top our top five. So we're going to go ahead and open up this pack and let's see what we've got. So uh, hopefully if you've got any stories or memories of any of these guys, feel free to jump in. We're going to start off with uh, a Royals. Uh, this guy's nickname was Skates, I believe, and he was on some of those Atlanta Braves teams. It's Lonnie Smith. I like the name Lonnie. I always liked the name Lonnie Chisenhall. I thought that was the best uh, player name. Uh, and I think he's still playing, but now Jazz Chisholm, the sec Jazz Chisholm Jr., is now my new favorite baseball name. So always <laughs> down for a Lonnie. <laughs> So let's see, Skates played for 17 years in the big leagues, most of it with Atlanta and then Philadelphia and St. Louis. In 1988, let's see, with the Braves, he hit 237 and 296 on base, three home runs, nine RBI, four stolen bases. And all of that will equal a war of 0.6. So you're in the positive, at least. And he does have a mustache on here. So you're going to start out in a, with a 0.7, which for us is... 
whenever I play this game, I'm in the negative right away. So that's <laughs> that's a good thing. All right. Uh, next card is a pitcher for the Cardinals. It's John Tudor. John Tudor. That name I recognize. And a lot of times Mark has nicknames, uh, Berman nicknames that that I don't remember for these. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw it out there if I can think of it. All right, so John Tudor, 12 years in the big leagues, five with St. Louis, five with the Red Sox. In 88, he split time between St. Louis and the Dodgers. Overall, he went 10-8 and with a 2.32 ERA, 192 innings, 87 strikeouts, and that is good for a war of, wow, 5.2. Whoa. Nice. Big score. Of course, 88, uh, being on the Dodgers, he also got, unfortunately, a World Series ring that year. Uh, He... Fortunately for you, though, he's got some uh, real stirrups in this baseball card as well. So that'll be a 5.3, and you're off to a good start. It helps when you recognize their name. Yeah, well, right. you know, when we when we were growing up, we collected cards uh, religiously yeah. at this point. And I knew everybody on every one of these cards now, and I think Mark is the same way. Now we look at him and we're like, who is this guy? But Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well, here is a guy that... Uh, well, this can be interesting to talk about. He's with the Mets here. He was on the 86 team that won the World Series. It is Wally Backman. Wally Backman. That's out of Vegas right there. Wally Backman managed the, the 51s for some time. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if you've if you've seen it. Uh, he managed an independent league team in the South, and they, uh, they did a – it's on YouTube. They did a series following him around the entire season, and it is crazy. Uh, he is a character. Was it part of that banana league? No, no. This is uh, this is probably from the early 2000s, but he gets ejected from... I can't tell you how many yeah. games he gets ejected from. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, let's see. Uh, 14 years in the big leagues. Nine with the Mets. This was his final year in New York. Uh, hit 303 with a 388 on base. No home runs. 17 RBI. And that is good for a war of 2.9. Now, if we look at this card, uh, he has got flip-down sunglasses, he's got real stirrups, and he's got a mustache. So you're cleaning up here. That is a 3.2 for Wally Backman. All right, next, you have got a Hall of Famer. So this is good news for you right away. Probably known best for putting pine tar on his bat, which he's thankful for, because then everyone forgets about the hemorrhoid incident, but it's George Brett. This is going to shoot me to the top, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to get you some good points, I think. Let's see. George Brett, uh, a.k.a. Mullet, which I don't know Mullet. how I didn't know that nickname. I literally, I think it was in your book when I was reading <laughs> reading it yesterday that I saw that nickname. And I thought to myself, I did not know that. And then look at look at what we got here. George Brett, 21 years in the game. We're not going to tell you who he played for, because if you don't know, you should turn off this podcast right now. Uh, good news for you. Let's see. In 88, he was an all-star. He hit 306, 389 on base, 24 home runs, 103 RBI at age 35, 14 stolen bases. Wow. He stole 14 the next year as well and finished with 201 in his career. Not bad. Not something I think about when I think about George Brett. And that is good for a war of 5.2. Wow. Uh, he is an all-star, so that or a Hall of Famer, so that'll be 6.2, and he's got real stirrups on, so that will be a 6.3. That's one of the beautiful things about the book, if I can throw another plug in there, is you got somebody like Denny Matthews, who was on the call for the 85 World Series, winning it all, and, and he's on the call for the 2000, well, 
technically wasn't on the call, but but Ryan Lefevre was on the call, and Denny got his little, uh, you know, basically as gracious as he was, letting him, because it was his turn. It was Ryan's turn in the extra innings, and they knew it was basically, they hadn't even used Wade Davis yet, and they're up by five runs, and he turns to Denny, he's like, what do you feel about me doing it? Denny, as professional as he can be, says, it's your inning. I mean, I haven't done this in 30 years. He didn't say that, but it's your inning. <laughs> so graciousness abroad with these broadcasters. Mark and I have both met several of the people that you've interviewed as well. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all, I mean, we'll talk baseball to anybody. So it's great when you get to hear somebody that's got these stories and, and are willing to share them like that. Um, let's see your next card. You're at 15.5. So you're already halfway there. They're very nice. Uh, next card here for the Dodgers outfielder, John Shelby T-bone T-bone. Yes. Uh, I see his, his, uh, full name is John T Shelby T period. Like Mr. T is his middle name, I guess just T period. Uh, let's see John Shelby, two world series rings to his credit. One with Baltimore in 83, and then why do the 88 Dodgers? I mean, why do we have to keep bringing them up? But uh, <laughs> let's see. John Shelby, 11 years in the big leagues, seven with Baltimore, four with the Dodgers, and two with Detroit. 1988 for the Dodgers, he hit 263, a 320 on base, 10 home runs, 64 RBI, and that is a 2.5. Plus, he's got a mustache, and he's got real stirrups on, so that'll be a 2.7. Wow. Or T bone. I'm getting I'm getting help from the bench here. Yeah, these are except for Brett. Uh, you're you're getting some good chunks from uh, from some uh, role players. Role players. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Shelby, by the way, first round draft pick by the Orioles in uh, 1977. All right. Next, uh, you have got. Oh well, he's not a Hall of Famer, but uh, he certainly had a good career. Pitcher for the Expos, El Presidente, Denny mm, Martinez. El Presidente. Author of A Perfect Game Against the Dodgers. Denny, 23 years in the big leagues. 11 with Baltimore, 8 with Montreal, and then a whole bunch of others. 1988 with the Expos, 15 and 13 with a 2.72 ERA. Wow. Unbelievable. 235 innings pitched, 120 strikeouts, and that will equal a war of 3.0. He's got a mustache here as well, so that'll be a 3.1. All right, uh, next. Wow, this guy must have been 704 in 1988, but here he is, pitcher for the Royals, Gene Garber. Oh, wow. I don't think we've ever pulled Gene Garber in any of these packs. And what a tragedy that is. Yeah, this is 200-plus shows, and this is the first Gene Garber sighting. (laughs) Garber started in 69. Yeah, debuted in 1969. Geez, I, I think he they, he debuted in black and white. Uh, let's see, <laughs> 19 years in the big leagues, 10 with Atlanta, 5 with Philadelphia, and then KC in Pittsburgh. In 1988, his final year as a 40-year-old, he went 0-4, but only a 3.58 ERA, 32 innings pitched, 20 strikeouts, and uh, that is a war of .2 still. Plus he's, he's got, still got that, on, he's still on the plus side. Yeah, plus he's got that Garber beard and he has got real stirrups. So that'll still be a plus point four. <laughs> I think he was traded for Babe Ruth at one point. <laughs> I think no, I, Ryan even said, What's going on, old man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think he was traded for Babe Ruth. I I I thought honestly that it was uh 
Hack Wilson, just because I like to bring Hack Wilson as often as possible. <laughs> I wish I could talk more about Hack Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes up pretty often in this show. <laughs> uh, now, this is a guy that I do not remember. Expos catcher outfielder Dave Engel. And by the crickets. Uh, I'm what, not sure. What's the spelling on that? I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. What's the E-N-G-L-E. spelling on that? E-N-G-L-E. Okay. I was going to say if it was E-N-G-E-L, he, he knew somebody uh, for uh, NBC, and that's how he got the slaw. So yeah, that, I was going to say, it's not Peter Engel. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> who, by the way, did make a, a guest appearance on Saved by the Bell at one that's point right. in the anti-drug episode with Johnny that's Dakota, right. I believe. He produced it. He said, I'm going to be on it. And they're like, okay. that's way too much saved by the bell information to be able to pull off the top of my head uh let's see uh four angle nine years in the big leagues for somebody that we don't remember uh five with minnesota two with montreal one with detroit and one with the brewers in 1988 with montreal let's see hit 216 a 310 on base no home runs one rbi and that is a minus 0.1 war can you make up for it in the aggregate though How's his stirrups? How are his no, this is, he's just sitting in the dugout, staring off in the distance, wondering uh, how Saved by the Bell is going to do without him. That reminds me of my Del Murphy card for the Phillies. I just It's part of my collage here. And I'm like, yep, that's pretty much representative right there <laughs> of your last years there, buddy. So this one will give us something to talk about because this guy's got a statistic named after him. Here he is, first baseman for the Red Sox, Sam Horn. Nickname, the only thing I can think of is Big. Big Sam Horn. <laughs> well, now this card, this is one of the cards. Well, this isn't his rookie card. Oh, this is his rookie card. I have a ton of these stashed away somewhere because this was going to pay for college while I was in college. Right. But, uh, yeah, this was uh, one of those uh, rookies that was going to be the, the next big thing. First round draft pick by the uh, Red Sox in 1982. Ended up playing in the big leagues for eight years three with Baltimore, three with Boston, then Texas and Cleveland. In 1988, 24 games, he hit 148, two home runs, eight RBI. That is a minus 0.4 for Sam Horn. Now, he does have a mustache and he does have real stirrups, so it'll only be a minus 0.2. Going the wrong direction. I know, I I started out hot. Yeah, now, I I don't think, we don't give pop culture reference uh, points in this version, but uh, having been known as uh, seven strikeouts uh, is the horn aplenty six strikeouts is just known as the horn in one game but uh, that after <laughs> sam horn let's see here all right so you're down to you've got four cards left here you're at 21.4 you are tied with bobby valentine at this point so uh, let's see if you can surpass him here uh, this guy i remember he pitched for quite a bit i think he got traded a lot uh, at the deadline for contenders is pitcher for the Phillies, Todd Froworth. With an S. With an F, yep. Wasn't he like a submarine pitcher? That's what I, yes. Yeah, here's a picture of it. Absolutely, you're, you're correct. Uh, let's see, Todd Froworth, nine years in the big leagues, uh, Philly for four, Baltimore for three, and then Boston and the Angels, a one apiece. In 88, he went one and two with an 8.25 ERA, 12 innings pitched. Uh, let's see, uh, 11 strikeouts, and that is good for a war of minus 0.5. Wow. Bobby Valentine <laughs> jumps back into fifth place. <laughs> uh, nothing on this card is going to help you out either. It's just another uh, posed shot down in spring training for uh, Todd Froworth. 
So uh, in, in your mind, I guess Todd is not worth, uh, fro worth much uh, in this yeah. game. Oh, apparently he passed away in 2017, unfortunately, from cancer. Um, uh, wow, I, I, I know we haven't mentioned this name in a while. I'm not sure how much he's going to help you here. Pitcher for the Yankees, Bill Gullickson. Mm, oh, wow. The fact that I recognize him is something of a plus. I remember a lot of these Yankees from uh, from the late 80s because Ricky was on the Yankees, obviously, at that point until uh, 89. Mm-hmm. So I remember a lot of these guys. Nicknamed Sugar, common nickname for pitchers, uh, led the league in 1991 with 20 wins. Wow. For the Tigers. Uh, in 88, though, oh, bad news for you, he missed... Uh, 88 and 89, he did not pitch in the majors. Uh, let's see, was he hurt? Uh, oh, he was in Japan. He played for the Yamiuri Giants for two years in Japan, where uh, he went 14 and 9 and 7 and 5. Looks like he had uh, some good years there, but we do not count that. And uh, there's nothing in this card that's going to help you out. So you're down so to zero. Two, yeah, you're down to two cards, but I think you're going to like this one. And this fits right in with you, speaking of former players that have gone on to be successful in the booth. One of our favorites on this show, we did uh, we did a whole episode. I think we did an episode on him. I'm fairly certain we did. Uh, it is none other than the captain for the New York Mets. It is Keith Hernandez. There you go. Just heard him today watching the first game of the uh, the doubleheader with the Mets and the Tigers. Uh, so this would be big points for you if uh, if we played by the rules that Mark and I play by every week because he was on Seinfeld, obviously. <laughs> there you go. The the baseball player with the most appearances on Seinfeld with technically three episodes because the boyfriend was technically a uh, double yeah. episode and then he was in the finale as well, though he did right. not speak. Mex played for 17 years, 10 with the Cardinals, 7 with the Mets, and then that one Final year with Cleveland in 90. 1988 with the Mets, 95 games. He hit 276, 333 on base, 11 home runs, 55 RBI. And that is good for a war of 2.2. Now, the good news for you is he's wearing real stirrups, really great stirrups. He's got a mustache and he's got flip down sunglasses. So uh, this is, I can't give you two tenths of a point on the mustache. It's not the full like 86 kind of bushy one, but it's still still there. So that'll get you a 2.5 though. What about the Newman reference though? Nice game, pretty boy. Yeah, we don't, (laughs) we don't, we don't do the pop culture reference when we have guests. But yeah, like, like I said, you get a half a point for pop culture references unless you were on the Simpsons uh, Seinfeld or Sabrina the Teenage Witch. There so, you go. But yeah, Keith Hernandez and one of my favorite announcers. I I I just listen. I watch the Mets uh, almost every night just for their booth because uh, he and Ron are so great. I mean, does not Ron? I mean, am I wrong in saying that Ron sounds exactly like James Woods? As if you're listening to James Woods call a baseball game, am I wrong? I have a hard time telling the difference between Ron and Keith. Their voices right. to me okay. sound exactly the same, but I. Don't get that, but I probably will now. And <laughs> now you can't unhear it. <laughs> yeah, now right. I'm not going to be able to unhear it. Thanks, thanks a ton. Uh, let's see. All right, so you're at twenty three point four. So you've uh, oh wow, you jumped past Rick Riz as well with that, and you trail Dave Dravecki by six tenths of a point. 
And your final card is a catcher for the Minnesota Twins, Tim Laudner. In 88? In 88? Wait, 87 is when they win the World Series. Never mind. So let's try to go back to Don Dodgers, 88, and Twins, 87. Laudner, just about that year is when he lost his starting job to Brian Harper. Well, get this, though. In 88, still an all-star. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. He spent nine years in the big leagues, all of it with Minnesota. Until, yeah, Brian Harper came around. Uh, let's see, in 88, he hit 251, a 316 on base, 13 home runs, 54 RBI, and that is good for a war of 1.1. Uh, he does have real stirrups on here, so that'll be a 1.2, and that will bring your grand total to, to 24.6, just getting by Dave Dravecki. Not a bad score. Yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good score. Anything over 20 is considered good in our book. Well, I, I figure the more, you know, because this is going to be brought up on your next podcast, and that's just another opportunity for people to say, who the hell is Kirk McKnight? And then I think I'll Google him. So there we go. There you <laughs> go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so there it is. Uh, there is uh, Wax Packs <laughs> Heroes, uh, 24.6. You are now uh, in third place. We, our top three are all people who have written baseball books. So... <laughs> That, uh, that says something. <laughs> it is a game of pure skill. I mean, oh, we yeah. know this. Yeah. Oh, That's right. They, uh, that training really paid off, we can, mm-hmm. we can tell. <laughs> well, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, we will put all of the links and uh, the discount code that you were uh, nice enough to provide in the show notes. Uh, if you want to maybe say them again, but again, if uh, anybody is uh, listening to this while they're driving the car, please just continue staring straight ahead. And uh, you can always look it up in the show notes as uh, how to get uh, Kurt's book, The Voices of Baseball. And you want to tell them one more time and uh, where they can find you on social media or, or anywhere like that as well. Yeah, at The Voices of MLB with MLB all in caps. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, the Voices of Baseball on Instagram. Usually anything I post on Facebook will probably like trickle its way over to Instagram and Twitter. And The Voices of Baseball is a Facebook page as well. So you can find me any one of those major three ones. Great. Well, those will all be in the show notes. And Kurt, we really appreciate you jumping on. And uh, thank you very much. Mark, this was fun. Good to have you back, man. Hey, it's it's good to be back, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> well, if this is your most pressing thing uh, going on, then... Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I'll survive, you know, without the uh, without the pampering. Yeah, well, I mean, you get a your team gets to start a, like a four game series or something with the A's at home. So yeah, yeah, I, I have a, it's a I soft have reservations against baseball. Will get you when you start making predictions. Yes, it's the A's. <laughs> it's the A's, my friend. All right, so all right, we'll let you uh, get on to that sweep. And uh, hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you coming back, even when we take an unscheduled uh, break. We don't usually take those during the during the season, but sometimes stuff comes up. So we appreciate everybody listening to us each week. If you want more of us, you can also find us on the internets. We're at Two Strike Noise on all of the socials. Just uh, Google it, look in the show notes. It's all there as well. Uh, we've also got a email address that, though it is in the show notes, it's really become a thing where people get upset if they don't hear Mark tell us the address. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's, uh, what is it again? I'm just kidding. Two strike noise, spell it out. T W O strike noise at gmail.com. 
I'm just glad that you finally have graduated so you don't go. It is HTTPS colon backslash backslash www dot. Uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, I started that way. Yeah. But you, you taught me better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks once again to uh, our guest, Kurt Knight. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. That was fun to get to talk with you. And uh, everybody else, thank you again for listening. We'll do it again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.